This podcast is brought to you with support from The Big Idea, New Zealand's online hub for creative people. The Big Idea aims to support talented, innovative individuals and organisations and advocates for creativity as an essential ingredient in the cultural and economic wealth of New Zealand. Their website is thebigidea.nz. This episode is also brought to you by We Are Braves, a photography company focusing on creating artistic, beautiful images that will boost your self-esteem and celebrate the real you. We Are Braves offers portrait, boudoir and body art packages and the team will work closely with you to bring your vision to life. A great idea for a gift for your loved one or simply a gift for yourself. Visit wearebraves.co.nz to find out more. One of the constant themes in my career is that I always end up having to do things that I'm not good at. Yes. <laughs> you know, yeah. you know? Yeah. Like, like you just playing think guitar or <laughs> <laughs> writing songs. <laughs> yeah. But it's like I mean, you get good at the few things that you do and then you think, Oh, now I have to figure out how to also do this other thing. And yeah. and I I just sometimes think, when am I gonna get to that point where I've kind of I can just do what I know how to do, you know. know I, but it yeah. seems to be an ever-changing job. Yeah? That's the the thing with trying to do your own your own engineering, your own mixing. There is a downside to it, mm. which is, you know, getting it to a point where it sounds good enough to be, <laughs> um, you know, listenable. Yeah. But um, then there's all the other crap that comes with it. Like I say, the computer crashes or the software right. incompatibilities and all this kind of guff, man. And it becomes so frustrating. Where and that's that whole thinking about worrying about whether your gear is going to last through just takes you out of the whole that creative you know um mode where yep. you're not creating anymore you're actually worried about or you're in a thinking headspace as opposed to a kind of um a flow state well especially when it's stressful when you get stressed you know yeah, your creativity your creativity goes out the window crunch, yeah. yeah yeah it's it's tough um and it, yeah it's it's I don't know. It's it's just a, it's an ongoing battle, but I think it's also part of our modern industry because we have to wear so many different hats now. Mm. You can't just be a guitar player, you know. No, that job doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, you know, as a complete job. I mean, I mean, yeah. and having listened to the tracks that you did, um, actually, it sounds great, man. I'm not just blowing sunshine up your ass. Right, I haven't thanks. listened to them since you since the other week when we talked about it. But yeah. man, some really impressive stuff in there. Thank How you. did you do all that? Uh, on what level? On how to record I mean, it? Did you do it here in your studio here, and did you go to, uh, you know, drum rooms and other live studios? Or we did it. Uh, we did some of it in studios, but most, like, all the drums were recorded at home, right? Um, and guitars and vocals were mostly at home and things like that. That's um, awesome. But we did man. like the ba- most of the bass was done in the states um, over there, because right. Dan Antonovich played most of it, awesome. except, all, all except there for one go. song. Yeah, yeah, uh, and. There's all sorts of other little things on there as well. Um, yeah. Had some friends over for dinner once and got them to do a bunch of hand claps for me. Oh, nice! Yeah. <laughs> and um, and so yeah, little things like that. But uh, yeah, it was a it was a a process of upskilling as I made the record. But you've also made your, in the past. You've done your own music videos too, right? Yeah, for so sure. So you yeah. kind of have to do, and then you've managed the behind the scenes thing you do your own marketing you do your own promotion you know not, so. not all successfully <laughs> no, but, I, but i try it all but yeah. and, but there are people you know in major companies there's persons whose job it is just to do marketing mm. all day that's, that's what right. they do yeah or just to do pr or or just to mix and you're doing all of that stuff yeah i mean not it's not necessarily how i would like it but it's um no. i mean you know I guess it's about problem solving within your means, mm-hmm. uh, and I and if you're if you're independent and you're not funded and you're you know you, you either choose to do it or you don't do it, and if you mm-hmm. choose to do it, then you've got 
whatever your time restraints are, you've got your, your budget, you know, you, you've got to work within those means. Does it feel like it comes with more freedom though? It gives you more freedom? Uh, I think it's about staying in the right positive headspace, you know, because you could you can really focus on all of the downsides um, or you can focus on the upsides. It's glass half full, half empty thing, you know. Mm-hmm. So the downsides are, um, like for example, I haven't had that peace of mind along the way that everything's automatically going to sound good. Like if you go to a big studio and you've got, very experienced people involved, you know, recording the drums and recording and this. You don't have to that. think about it or worry about that. Yeah. You just go, yeah, whatever. And you just, you know, yeah, you take care of that. I'll be back later, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think a lot of people outside the music industry would be surprised to find out how little involvement a lot of, especially pop singers, have in the making of their oh, own yeah. albums. Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. it's almost like they. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's 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 so different to how it's presented yeah. to the public. And know? a lot of those pop songs, the, the major pop songs, have up to 9, 10, 15 songwriters on that's, that that one song. Exactly right, yeah. You know, whereas you're doing it all yourself or, or, you know, you've got musicians that you trust to play on the songs that you've written and put yeah, together. Yeah, that's right. And um, But I do remember you talking about um, the mixing process and how you actually did fixate on, say, I think it was a kick drum sound yeah. and you had it in your mind what you wanted it to sound like. You just didn't know how to do it yourself right but you knew how to how to explain it to the engineer and get what you wanted in the end i did this time more because because um i've spent a lot of time over the last few years trying to upskill because i was so frustrated on previous recording projects right on previous albums um that i've made uh i i struggled at times to communicate either the musical idea i wanted you know to to make happen or the Mm. or the like you say, the sound of a kick drum or something. Yeah. I'd be trying to describe it poetically rather than in, right. a, in a more technical sense. Yeah. Which of course yeah. engineers love to mock musicians who do that. But musicians <laughs> are creative people. They, you know, they they think yeah. like that. You know, they. Right. I, I want more oomph. What does that mean? You know. Um, <laughs> so less, less but, velvet cape, more leather pants. Yeah. Kind of. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, so I mean, but the peace of mind thing was an interesting one because I I made the record myself. It's a solo record. Um, yes, I've had engineers and musicians and everyone involved, but um, it's not like I'm part of a band. And that, so the difference with that is um, is the, everyone else is one step removed. You know, everyone yeah. else cares about it just a little bit less than I do. Uh-huh. They still care about it, but uh, when you're in a band, you know, you're constantly in dialogue with each other. Mm. And, and you know, what do you think that sounds? Like? That sounds yeah. pretty good. You you're living sort of, you know, and breathing those songs. Yeah. And, yeah. But I'm kind of on my own. Like, does that sound good? I don't know. Like on Monday, it sounded good. Tuesday, it sounded like crap. You know, right. my perception keeps changing. Uh-huh. My objectivity is fucking out the window because I'm not going to really get a clear view on it until about three years from now, probably. Yeah, okay. You know, uh, and, and on previous records, I've had the same problem where at the time I've got one view on it. A couple of years later, I think, ah, oh, I shouldn't have included that song or that guitar tone really sucked or, you know. You just- but what I heard of the, the, the music, what I heard in the songs... Um, Certainly, the first part of the first half of the album mm. was it did sound like a band. You know, there were there was elements of Steely Dan, kind of snarky puppy. Right, um, Steely Dan's an interesting one. You know, to yeah, throw. I just felt like it felt like there were more players there playing. But you're a multi instrumentalist, so understandably, you probably played a lot of the instruments yourself. Well, I only played the guitar and, okay. and sang. Um, right. I think I think the musicianship or the musician sort of element of it is is 
I think any credit that I can take from that is um, is simply giving the musicians the vehicle to bring their best to the product project. Mm-hmm. I didn't micromanage them, you know, right. like with the bass lines, for example. Why the hell would I tell Dan what to play? Right, he's an incredible <laughs> bass player. You yeah, know? right. Um, and him bringing his flavour to it's going to exactly. add something. Makes Otherwise, it why would you ask him? Yeah. yeah, and I'm also very aware of of the fact that session musicians um, are forever not really being used to the to the best of their potential. You know, to, to their full potential, creatively or technically. Yeah. Um. And so, you know, someone's an incredible player, but they're now they're just playing like four on the floor. You know, G, A minor, C, just uh-huh. basic stuff again, because that's what a lot of music's like, of course. Mm-hmm. So, um, I like getting good musicians involved and then saying, you know, you do whatever you want. Like, let's 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 sort of figure out where this is going to go. And yeah, I did the right. same thing with Jaden Jaden Lee, who played the drums on the record. Um, I had the songs demoed, so he had some he had something to listen to and to to sort of he had a way of understanding what the songs were yeah but then we basically just went for takes that made us you know got us excited yeah cool and there's a song on the album called light my way which is further into the album which is all sorts of like lots of sort of offbeat stuff and about jesus, all pretty eh? random about jesus <laughs> <laughs> of course <laughs> and i remember that's what i took from it <laughs> Because if yes. you're only half pay, if you're only half paying attention, it could actually have that kind of. <laughs> well, I was called paying attention. It, ha- it happens to have a more of a love song thing to it. But if you weren't paying attention, it could sound a little bit Pentecostal for sure. <laughs> but but um, I remember, I like I say, I demoed it and I demoed it with all the with all of the the basically the drum beat is all moved over by a beat, so it all sort of sounds out of sync until the chorus comes in. Yeah, and so I designed that idea. Um, but I hadn't elaborated on the beat much. I just sort of put this basic um, uh, uh, loop in, to sort yeah. of, you know. And anyway, so he, he had a he had a couple of goes at it, basically just getting his head around the arrangement. And I was in the control room talking to someone else, and um, and he goes, "I'll have another go." I think it was like the third take. And I was talking to this person while he was recording the third take, and and eventually I just I, I had to say, "Hold up a second, you know, to the person I was talking to. Just just wait a minute. And I just listened. I'm like listen to what he's fucking doing mm. and i just couldn't believe what i was hearing he got that whole song one take third go wow nothing we didn't change a thing on it you know that's just him in the moment it's some bizarre playing right yeah um, yeah but i think it's a combination of i i love drummers and i love rhythm sections i love bass players so i write with that mentality okay and then when i get them involved i i love to just let them fucking and something do they in want. For him. yeah yeah and then all of my guitar parts and stuff that i had you know vaguely had planned was all dependent on what the rhythm section did so uh, after the fact there there were plenty of parts of my own that i ended up ditching because they no longer made sense over the room i'd redesign my parts to suit so i think that's why it's i think it sounds like a band because it's sort of been put together that that was the next thing i was going to ask you were there any ideas that you that you wanted to hold on to that you just had to abandon because they didn't make sense after bringing other people in yeah there's a the title track hustle bustle um I came up with this really intellectually clever guitar part. It's about part. Jesus, eh? Absolutely. <laughs> it's about the crucifixion. <laughs> um, I came up with this really musically kind of intellectual, like a musically geeky kind of idea for the guitar parts, all these kind of weird jazzy inversion sort of things. And it was, it yeah. was like, it was a kind of like... Um, Wankfest. Oh, it's a Wankfest, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and, and it, yeah, it's one of those parts that only the you know the the sort of people out there who give a shit about that sort of thing the very few who give a shit would yeah. be like well that's clever you know yeah right but every time I, I i went to record the part it just didn't sit right it just seemed to it seemed to get in the way of the vocal line 
Um, the keys are nice. They're, they're, the keys in that part are relatively simple, and it, they just sort of sit there quite nicely. And mm-hmm. and I just couldn't find a way. I started changing the strum pattern, or change, like I started trying like picking versions. And yep. eventually, I'm like, every time I mute the track and listen to it, it sounds better. So I'm like, fuck right. it, no guitar in the verse. What? Okay. Yeah. So that's yeah. I think I think learning to throw things away is really tough, especially as the artist. Oh yeah, but it's some. Yes, I, I told you before. I'm working on a video project, and yep. I had all of these clips together, and some beautifully shot stuff, and things that I that I thought would look amazing. And you put them up against the other clips either side of where the idea of where you want to put them in the co- construct. Right. And you go, it's really beautiful, but it just doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. Goodbye. Yeah. Delete it, and and you kind of going, fucking hell! I wanted to use that piece. It would have would have made me look like an artist. It would have made it look amazing. Right. But. It doesn't work. Yeah. It doesn't work for the... You've got to think of the overall, in this case, a song that you're talking about. If it doesn't serve that particular um, outlook you're looking for, it's got to go. But how did you learn that? Because for me, I I, I learned that sort of the wrong way in a way because I, I would listen to stuff I'd done after the fact and think, oh, I knew that wasn't that shouldn't have been there. You know, I questioned it at the time. Yep. I chickened out of deleting it, mm-hmm. and then two years later, I'm fucking kicking myself. Yep. You know, the same way. Right. I learned that way as well. Yeah. Like, uh, if it's video stuff or it's uh, audio or whatever um, music, mm. keeping it in there, fighting myself, going, no, I, I really want to keep that piece in there because it's going to make me sound awesome. And yeah. It's yeah. a really technical kind of thing, and kind of, and you, and you know, one or two people will hear that and go, wow, this guy's really talented. Exactly. Yeah. Fucking blah, blah, blah. Nothing to do wank. with the song. Nothing to do with it whatsoever. <laughs> yeah. And then every, and, and then I realized that every time I was coming up to that part, I'd either skip it. Right. Or, or wince at it and go, oh, that doesn't sit well. I mean, that's, you know, I liked it at the time mm. and it's because it doesn't fit. Yeah. You know, and, and so when I get myself... And I know I can feel myself going, I've got to, this is great. I'm going to keep this part in there no matter what. In fact, I'll adjust everything else around it to yep. make it fit. Yeah. That's when I know that that's got to go. Yeah, I think that sometimes too. Like if I'm trying to come up with a, a, a production trick to to almost hide or to justify the part, yeah, just delete the part. Yeah. You know, because, but, but this has taken me a long time to learn, you know. Yeah. Um, I, I often think about some of the, the great music, in my opinion, in history, um, I love Bill Withers, for example, and and those songs are written, they're, they're bulletproof, those songs. They're just mm. bulletproof. You could play them with just a strumming acoustic guitar and they'd be just as good as ever. Or you can listen to the, like I've got um, Live at Carnegie Hall, I think 1974 or whatever it was recorded, right. with this whole big band. Fucking amazing. Yeah. Um, but the songs are like Lean On Me, Ain't No Sunshine, they're bulletproof songs. Yeah. Um, and another... In my um, post-album, um, Second Guessing Everything, I was talking to Dan on Skype in a moment of doubting everything. Everything sucks. I'm terrible. Mm. Um, and and one of the things he pointed out, which I'd already actually thought of previously, was the early police records. And, you know, right. they're, they're, they're recorded. I don't know what the budgets were or anything, but they were cheaply recorded in a small studio. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're not that great when it comes to the production right they're not big and fat and yeah you know they sound a bit thin and yeah, yeah. um but the songwriting and the performances are so good that mm-hmm. it sort of tr- doesn't matter you know right. and the production supports the songs in a funny way as it's sort yeah. of they got their own sound out of it right you know it's interesting okay. isn't it but have you doubted like especially when you've made the big sort of records and the and you know with the mm. producers and the big studios and whatever have you gone through the same 
post-production um, self-doubting yeah. and all of that. Yeah, and, and sometimes you have the luxury of going away and listening to things before the either the final mix or before you've you know done all the overdubs and the overlays. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the thing that kept ringing in my mind when I'm listening to those things in terms of offering mix ideas or even um, structural changes when listening back to, you know, monitor mixes is that the idea of feature it or fuck it, basically. Right. <laughs> if it doesn't, if it warrants featuring, then, you know, put a case forward to go, we should really, you know, either make this part stick out or yeah. complement it or work on that to make it sound better. Right. Or just get rid of it. Yeah. You know, um, burying it in the mix is not the right way to do it. That's it right. just takes up valuable bandwidth that you don't, you know, could be used for something else. Exactly. Yeah. Could just put a fucking drone in there instead of... or. or a trash can lid or whatever to make the sound <laughs> that you want or you know it's completely gone a different direction yeah so um i've had that a couple of times where we've been able to go away and come back to it right a project um but oftentimes you're just in there you've only got a certain amount of time you've got to um think on your feet and that's where a producer comes in handy yeah for sure it's like look if we're we're working on this piece it's, it sounds all grand and all i mean we actually had that um on our second record for the op shop and we'd spent days and days and days on the song that we really wanted to make it work. Mm. And it was complicated in the sense that it had timing changes and a massive bridge section, like a dream world kind of um, right. like the dream theater rather bridge oh, yeah, section. Yeah. And we were really loving that, but it just, again, when you put it in up against the other songs on the record that we were writing at the time, all stuff, it didn't fit. Yeah. And so that song didn't make it. And then over the years, we tried to repurpose that song and take out the bridge and get rid of that and maybe use it for something else, which we didn't end up doing either. Mm. And then we didn't even end up using that song for anything. Right. But yeah, I mean, that's where a good producer comes in because finally the producer just said, look, we're burning hours here on this. I think this is a dead horse that we're flogging. Right. We yeah. got to move on. Yeah. At best, the song will be a B side. That's when, back when you had B-sides. Yeah. Um, at worst, it's just going to be a massive waste of money. <laughs> I'm just opening my phone because I took a screenshot of a quote. Uh, it says, Much of the beauty that arises in art comes from the struggle an artist wages with his limited medium. Right. By Henry Matisse. Matisse? Henri Matisse. He's a painter. Oh, right. Yeah, much of the beauty that arises in art comes from the struggle an artist wages with his limited medium. Wow. I really like that because... Because I relate to it, um, and I, I kind of went that way a little bit before in regards to um, having limited resources to make a record. Mm. For example, not having loads of money handed to me by either a rich dad or mm. you know the government or whatever. Um, so you go, well, it, it, you know, it makes you really think. I, okay, I could spend a year on this in the biggest studios and hire all the big producers, and that would solve all the problems we're just talking about. Mm -hmm. But it would cost me a hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, you know, how much am I really prepared to put into this project? Mm -hmm. um, should I be thinking about financial return? You know, and and how's that going to look? And never think about that. <laughs> yeah, and and releasing arts, it's it's tough. But yeah. I mean, I do think about that because it is my money that I'm putting into these projects. Mm -hmm. um, and so I do think about how can I make my money back? Let's just start with breaking even. Yeah. Um, which of course has nothing to do with the creativity of it. Uh, but I think that's one of the reasons why I tried to. But that's up, one of the limits you can come up against is, yeah, the, exactly. is budget. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I solved a few Talent problems. Talent is another one. <laughs> <laughs> but I solved a few problems by making the record myself because I, I, was, 
I was able to take my time. I, I basically wrote the album over about a year or two year and a half and then spent about sort of eight months recording it part time mm-hmm. um, and amongst everything else I was doing. And there was not really, um, you know, I, I could try stuff and then throw it away and re-record stuff and, you know, I could sort of mess around and I didn't, I didn't have to worry about time frames like I did on like my first album I think I made it in about three weeks including mixing like we just we we had this much money this much time we have to do it you yeah know? is that good I don't care it's you know it's a right. move on yeah. um I didn't want that because of course it compromises the quality um but then I didn't have those luxuries you know we we did we did um we set the drums up in the room we recorded them in um, and then we were, I think three of us were walking around the room clapping, listening to the reflections and then putting baffles around and, yeah. and then, um, we had some really great mics and then we were sort of short of mics as well. So we used some really strange mics. I think we used a couple of like sure 58s on the cymbals and right. <laughs> no, on the hi-hat, I think we got a really good hi-hat sound through a 58 strangely, okay. but, um, that wasn't like, uh, it wasn't a, a pre-production meeting going, I think we should use a 58 on the hi-hats. Yeah. I think it was more like, shit, we're out of mics. What else have we got? (laughs) Yeah. Okay. And then we're like, we're trying to get the best raw sound possible. So we're, we, we spent a lot of time, um, trying to, trying to give ourselves the best outcome just on the raw sounds. So that, so that, you know what I mean? So there's all the problem solving that went into it. Um, the good thing is, is we're recording in a house, so we weren't having to pay for studio time, but the bad thing is we couldn't just, you know, press the button and get good quality shiny drums in the end you know yeah so you gotta work harder you gotta work harder yeah it's that that triangle of you know money time and ability yeah and um if you have you know two of those quotients in high numbers Mm. or high amounts or whatever then um you're good to go if you only have one of those you're probably fucked right so if you've got money but you've got no talent yeah and you've got no um, time yeah you're gonna make a shit piece of art or whatever if, yeah. it's, if that's what you're doing art yeah or if you've got loads of time but you've got no money and you've got no ability right you're going to make shit art yeah but if you've got plenty of money and plenty of time chances are you might actually eventually come up with something really good you can buy it yeah, like, like can, we were saying before you, yeah. you have professional songwriters yep you can you know a lot of a lot of these artists go go from studio to studio producer to producer yeah through lots of different songwriters until they find the but a lot of the lot know? of the people that we know and that we've dealt with and, and mm. probably the situation we find ourselves in is that we have ability and time no money right you know so yep. you've got to um that's how you make things work over time use your ability and you've got very little money you yep. can make something really great which i think you've done with the album well man. thank you so. yeah well i mean and, and all of the i mean the self-doubting and in, in the in the you know immediately after you finish the project is completely normal as far as i know yes. like it's normal for me and it's, i i hear every other artist talk about the same process yeah it's um, totally normal but the only thing i mean the thing that really gives me um uh, I guess a bit of peace of mind is that for better or for worse, this is an album that I made. It's my album, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, So yeah, it'd be great if I, like I said before, if I went to a big studio and had a big, like a great producer or something, it wouldn't really be my album. It'd be the producer's album in a way. Mm. I mean, I might've written the songs. I might, my opinion is sort of going to be throughout, but you know, um, it's, it's, they become a a bigger part of the process. Yeah. Which is, I'm not saying it's a bad thing, Mm. you know, but there's something nice about getting to the end of something and saying, I made that. Mm, yeah. 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 Like like painting a painting with a committee. <laughs> Art by committee. Yeah. Yeah. My, my name is on the painting, but I actually just, I painted the tractor, but I didn't paint everything around it. You know, <laughs> someone else did that, you know, yeah. which is kind of what modern music is. Like when you buy a record, 
made by an artist these days. You're not really buying a piece of art it's made gone, by that person. It's gone through so many filters and so many people sitting down and yeah. talking about it. And imagine, however, every song for every one number one hit in the world or whatever, there are a million. Yeah. Probably as equally as good, um, certainly well produced, but they've at some point through that filtering process have fallen short. Yeah. Whether there might have been someone in that room at the board table, it's like, nah, the song. Don't like the That's right. don't like the look of that person, or I don't like that chorus, or whatever. And yeah. then cool, gone. We're, let's not deal with that anymore. Right in the trash can, yep. you know. And it might just be that person is having a bad day, or they don't know what the fuck they're talking about, <laughs> which is often the case. Yeah, yeah. To be fair, what do you yeah. think about this this whole thing though about how how albums are made and how it's not really a reflection of the artist art by committee, art by committee. Yeah. Um, Does it bother I you? Think as a, it bothers me. It depends on how um, invasive that process becomes. Hmm. You, yes, it's frustrating, and, and I've come up against it in the past where there are so many opinions in the room um, that you don't know your ass from your head. You right. know, sometimes, yeah. And nor do some of those people. In fact, some of, there might be a throwaway comment from someone that uh, you know, as a band, you've got someone in the room who is a friend of one of the band members who is respected by that band member, right? And so therefore respects their comment or their viewpoint yeah and then that gets thrown in the mix whereas actually it comes down to the artist that's right at, and it yeah. should at the end of the day whether things are um should fly or not having said that though uh, a word of caution you take those um well-intentioned people out of the mix then you're left with the egos in the band who might just kind of like um, you, too, too close to it let's yeah. put it that way like you said you know you felt a little bit too close to the thing mm. lost all objectivity and that's also a dangerous thing I think I think feedback um, from people around uh, is really great you if know, you're willing to receive it if you're willing to receive it I think it's uh, important to filter the feedback and you yeah. know to, to question where it's coming from yeah. but there have been plenty of times over the years that um, someone has said I really like that song and I was I mean I remember there's a song on my first album called When I Met You uh, which is that about Jesus? <laughs> of course, all my songs are about Jesus. That's the theme yeah. of the day today. <laughs> yeah. um, and I, I had written it a couple of years earlier, and it was it was kind of this finger picking acoustic thing, and it just didn't occur to me that it made sense on the album when I was preparing to make the album. Mm-hmm. Um, I would played it though when I was touring with Tommy Emmanuel, and he made a comment. Um, he came over to me one day and goes, "Fuck, I really like that song. You know, is that going to be on the album?" And I went, "No, uh, yes." Uh, I don't know, and, <laughs> and it just made me think about it, you know. Yeah. Um, and and he kind of put it back in my head. Oh yeah, that is a good song. We sh- you know we should use that one. Right. Um, think just things like that. Or people- sort of way that's art by committee. I mean, uh, kind of yeah. But I was talking more about the the, the synthesized, you yeah. know, the the music as a product. Mm. Companies making music to sell, which has always been there, but I think it's, yeah. it's never been more exaggerated than it is now. And, you know, yeah. with th- like Spotify, they're, they're, yeah. they're literally making their own music and putting their own playlists together yeah. Yeah. so that they don't have to pay artists royalties. I mean, it's one know. thing to be, uh, you know, you've got name a great artist James Taylor John Lennon you know whatever any of them you've got mm. you've got the amazing artist who writes the amazing music but that's as we all know that's just the first step you know mm. um, and you then you, you do need a, a good band and engineers and producers and, and then the marketing the whole thing it's, it's definitely uh, no one 
no one um, can get their music out on their own. Mm. It, you know, it's, mm. it just doesn't work like that. No. Um, but I'm not talking about that. I'm, I'm, because that still involves someone at some point having an emotional or, or, or reflective or thoughtful process that created the seed idea that was then expanded upon. Yeah. I'm talking about um, modern scenarios where there's none of that. No, mm. one, no one's writing anything to say any artistic statement. Yeah. It's more like, what bits and pieces can we put together that we know will work? We'll there's, a, there's a film around, um, fuck, what's it called? Vox, something or other. It's got Natalie Portman in it, and she plays an artist um, called Celeste. Right. Um, and I think, for, I've, I saw the um, trailer yeah. last night, I think, on um, Apple TV or whatever. And... And I think from having read a review about it, that movie deals with that kind of thing. Like, and it's an in-your-face kind of, yeah, we are doing this to you with pop music. Mm. We are the lot. We're dealing to the lowest common denominator. Yeah. The fuck are you going to do about it? You seem to like the music, <laughs> you know. Like, so let's just put it all out there. This is what we're doing. And it, and she's a manuf- manufactured pop star. Yeah. And the songs are vacuous and mean nothing. Yeah. But people still kind of lap that shit up, you know. Um, right. And the, the the movie A Star Is Born recently dealt with that oh, okay. um, theme as well. Yeah. With um, Lady Gaga's character, how she became a pop star when she'd come from this kind of, I guess, more alt country bent with her. Yeah. She was a working she was a working musician, wasn't she? She played weddings and things as far as, yeah, I, as, far and, as I know. And cocktail bars yeah. and all kinds of things. Yeah. I mean, she, that's an interesting story. I don't know much about it, to be honest, but I, I believe there's a documentary about her on Netflix I should probably really watch. But she, as far as I know, was that, you know, unknown working musician who calculated her career. I mean, if I do this and this and this, I'll give myself the best shot to, to achieve that. But isn't that manufacturing? Absolutely. I mean, that's what I mean. Yeah. yeah. So I'm not coming down on one side of this conversation. I'm not saying this is wrong. I'm just saying yeah. it, it's it's different. Even her name, you know, Gaga, yeah. she took that from the Queen song, right? Yeah. Yeah. And um, and some would say her early music is very, very heavily influenced by Madonna. But Madonna I, would say that, in fact. Well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, but this has also been happening the whole way through that's as well. F- forever. You know, I mean, that whole thing about the Beatles and the Stones, how... The Stones used to wear suits, and the Beatles used to wear like leathers, and yeah. and, and and just by coincidence, they both swapped. <laughs> you know, the Beatles put on the suits because that was their branding to be the kind of the nice guys, uh-huh. and the Stones wanted to look more dangerous. But in actual fact, the Beatles were the ones you didn't fuck with. The Stones right. were the higher educated, much nicer young lads. You know, right. and they sort of put on the persona of being the badass band. Yeah, um, and the Beatles put on the persona of being the nicer band. You know, mm. so that was branding right at the start of rock and roll. Yeah, right. You know, and then some of my heroes like Prince and Michael Jackson and people like that. Um, all of that's fabricated. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they also happen to be incredibly talented, def- talented skilled yeah. as well. Mm. Um, so I'm definitely not saying this is categorically no, wrong. But it exists in, in, yeah. in such a huge way. Yeah. 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 And people m- make massive careers out of that sort of thing. Right. Yeah. And then, you know, you go and whack off in front of one person and your career's gone. Like... <laughs> Louis C.K. Oh, it wasn't one person, was it? Like nine people or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And That's a weird segue. You, you want to get into that, do you? No, I'm just thinking about, you know, how you can ruin your career and um, that you've manufactured and spent all... Right. People spent millions of dollars, millions and millions of dollars in time and doing, and then yeah. you just blow up by one wank. <laughs> um, but he, he is making a comeback, though. Yeah, is he? Didn't he? Well, I, I, I hear about him doing shows, There's but... some controversy in the... Just last week, eh? Yeah, yeah. about the Parkland... Yeah. Um, how do you feel about that? Not not that specific topic, but mm. um, 
you know, people being offended by, I guess, comedy. I mean, it's comedy. Mm. He's a yeah. comedian. Is it because he's also a, um, a serial wanker that <laughs> people are now offended by his jokes and taking they're more sensitive about it i did think when that when i read that article i did think would people be in such a, an uproar if the other stuff hadn't happened mm. and i don't know maybe they would maybe yeah they, they might you know or are um, we just living in a time where people just easily get offended well that's definitely the true yeah um it's such a murky fucking subject yeah you know? it's the power dynamic though right because mm. and that's the i guess the thing that's abhorrent about it is he had certain power over certain people yeah, and he used he well wielded that in a way that was um yeah i guess it, it it's illegal but it's also mm. um highly offensive to those especially those people who <laughs> experienced it at the time i don't even know if it is illegal to whack off in front of someone who doesn't want you to whack off in front of them. I don't know. No, I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying I don't know where the law stands on that. It shouldn't be illegal. It sounds like fun. <laughs> he says as he unzips his... Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, no. It's, well, maybe it's not illegal, but... Because, I mean, part of the problem with that situation is because of his power and his influence, yeah. um, people are saying yes to him. Or they were. Yeah. But that that's or, how or I they weren't saying no. They weren't saying no, that's what I mean. Yeah. yeah they they absence um, of yes does not mean, you know absence of no abs- absence of no doesn't mean yes. Doesn't mean yes. Right, yeah. exactly. So that I maybe that makes it a grey area. This is probably where we, we need probably a, a lawyer here to <laughs> No, nah, we're all right. <laughs> but I mean obviously the law doesn't is not a, is not foolproof, you know. Yeah. It doesn't mean it's right. Yeah, right. Um, but I do, I, I, yeah. Again, I'm not taking the side. I'm just. But saying, like, if a, a if a a bum on the street started whacking off on Queen Street, mm. I mean, should he lose his career as a homeless person because of that? <laughs> his career as a homeless person. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I think what I'm trying the point I'm trying to make is that because of who he is, he is a tall poppy, yeah. and people relished in taking him down. And I, I think that's the point I was getting at when I first started talking about this, mm. is that there's this kind of um, ravenous fucking uh, people out there they just want blood mob, the mob mentality the mob mentality yeah. they, they want blood want blood and when, once that's dealt with it's like okay where's the next person we can take down that, that's kind of my point and but I, I, again yeah. a proviso I'm not, not defending just yeah. anything that he did because but that that's, is, that's kind of my point is that we I, I always think about how is this going to look a long time in the future whenever we're, we're looking back at this time mm. and I worry that that the outcomes don't align with the crime you know it's, mm. it's kind of like if someone if someone stole a car and was sentenced to death mm. like okay well we're not saying it's right to steal a car but mm. sentenced to death is a bit extreme for that mm. <laughs> when other people seem to get off really lightly for much more heinous crimes you know and in those countries where that sort of um sentence is imposed or yeah. you hear about those sorts of things mm. they don't have a better society because of it no you know um people are still if not doing worse things beheading people and right you know um that doesn't seem to stop you know people from doing heinous shit there, there also Those seems sorts to of draconian laws there also seems to be this this discomfort with things certain subjects like sexuality uh-huh. you know if his crime had been violent you know if he had punch someone or something uh-huh. um i think it'd be handled quite differently to if it if it is of a sexual nature right you know and uh does that work does that add up does that is it always just what why is it always the end of the world if it's sexual mm. it's it, to me it's just some too puritanical kind of repression it's got something to play i don't know 
Yeah, but you see, you see how hard it is to talk about because we keep both trying to interject and say we're not justifying anything. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, um, because the the I, the thing these days is that if you say anything even slightly out of sorts, people come at you. Yeah. and accuse you of somehow having. Oh the no, we could lose this podcast. <laughs> oh no, but Kevin Spacey. Okay, there's another one that he right. came out recently and tried to. Uh, he did the weirdest thing, man, with that. Um, he went into the character video. of Frank Underwood. Yeah, I didn't see it. I, re- I read about it, but it's I didn't so see it. Un- it's so cynical, but wacky. Right. It's like, why the fuck would anyone take... I mean, what's, what's he trying to achieve with that? What do know? you think he was trying to achieve? Well, I, I feel like he was trying to get back in the good graces of people who by, were fans by, or whatever. By but being funny or something? or No, wasn't by being quite the opposite, by being oh. serious and being like, you know, you're, remember, we're on the same team. Right. Whether you like it or not, I made you feel uncomfortable. I made you look at things blah, 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 in a different yeah. way. Yeah. And you like that whether you want to, you know, admit it or not. And it's like, so you're you're playing a character still. This is not Kevin Spacey, but you're trying to, it seems like you're trying to get people back on board mm. based on a character, a fictional yeah, so, I mean, he, and he has apparently um, allegedly done some pretty dodgy shit, and that's yeah. physical yeah. Um, sexual abuse. So, and the, I guess there's, I guess does that mean there's a scale that we could be, Yeah, you know, there's public masturbation, and then there's groping <laughs> some guy yeah. in I a was, restaurant. I was determined to not talk about Trump on this episode, because it's... <laughs> but the, the, Mate, it's going to be a great year <laughs> yeah, for the, Trump stuff. The, the disconnection that I always think about is... is the whole thing with Clinton this time 20 years ago or a bit mm. longer ago mm. over a blowjob, which now yeah. seems totally insignificant compared to what Trump has just been throwing at us. It's yeah. to the point now where I'm not really even paying attention anymore because I just don't Do give a shit. Do that's just, part of the plan? Uh, probably. I don't know. You know, it's just yeah. everything's mental now. Mm. And and his behavior is so disgusting in every single way. Mm. Um, it, but it just look what we went through with the whole Clinton thing and how big a deal that was. And at the time, it seemed really important. Yeah. I, I remember arguing at the time, it's not cool that he cheated on his wife, but mm. does a blowjob mean he can't be a, a good president? Mm. You know, What does this have to do with him as a president? But, but it turns out that that didn't matter because he was re-elected after that, wasn't he? Was he? I don't. Think, I think it was the second term, wasn't it? That, I, all, that all happened? I, th- mm. I had the impression that he was impeached, but he, that, but he was re-elected the second time around. I might be wrong. Yeah, um, that's not how I remember it. But, right, okay. but I don't think I fully, I don't think I really understood what was going on at the time as well. Yeah, <laughs> that's pretty young. No, we were both. Yeah, that's yeah, the thing too. Yeah. So you're 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 thinking from a twenty-year-old man's um, vantage point. It's like, oh, that's so he's cheated on his wife. And, nice try. I was younger than that. Yeah. <laughs> okay, <laughs> well, don't project onto me. <laughs> <laughs> and then he, you know, rogered someone with a cigar or whatever it was. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, um, that was pretty pretty salacious but the shit that yeah like you say that trump's been through well but, but he had an affair that's that's all he really did clinton clinton i mean he had an affair and that's not cool mm. on any on any level but he had an affair i mean what he actually did during the sexual act is sort of not relevant you know mm. because mm. because lots of people try like shit out when they're when they're having sex mm. you know um mm. they happen to do the cigar thing can't say that's ever crossed my mind <laughs> but whatever you know um yeah. but if you if you had access to what people you know do in their private lives it would oh probably be, be quite shocking do you yeah. really want to think about that person doing yeah, that you nah, know yeah. i mean it, it's 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 gross but it's not gross because it's wrong and that, but that's <laughs> the thing they say about trump is that he just puts it out there in front of everybody it's in yeah. plain sight right which makes it somehow disarms people with it like he's literally saying i'm doing these things yeah 
or um, not not outright saying it that way, but the, his actions or the things you can prove that he's doing out in the open. Yeah. Um, and, you know, what was the thing he said about I could go out into Fifth Avenue and shoot someone and still get voted <laughs> um, in? Um, probably not quite true. He'd be arrested, but you know that sort of. Um, but we didn't think it was true when he when he made the same sort of claim about becoming president. I what? could I could become president. I could fix that if I wanted to. Yeah, people didn't take him seriously. Yeah, enough, he said that. How long ago did he say that? A few years ago. Or well, Vladimir Putin helped him out. So yeah, yeah, yeah. But so apparently, he's in he's in a fucking a world of hurt right now though because the Congress has come in and they're democratically controlled now. Has that just started now? Today, today I think today, right. they come back in into session and they are going to lay a whole world of hurt on I, this I, man. I hope so. I just the number of times that I've thought but along at the some way. Point, like, he, he's done something. I thought, surely that's the end. Yeah, you know, yeah. surely that crosses the line. No, <laughs> no, then it's gone. And you're right. He just seems to throw it away. Yeah. Like his answers to everything seems to be either yes, I did, or no, I didn't. Yeah, you know, you you did this. Like, yep, I did. Deal well, look, like, uh, what are you going to do about it? Yeah, it's, it's no, it's no, uh, no, I didn't. No, I didn't. No, I didn't. Here's the proof you did. Okay, I did, but what? It doesn't matter. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It doesn't, um, that it's, does not, that's not legal. It's just, it's actually quite an amazing or, tactic. Or look over here. I'm going to do something <laughs> even, even more heinous. Even worse. It's going to completely take control of the news cycle and get rid of that thing. It's going to bump it to the back of the line. Yeah. And just keeps up with coming up with scandal after scandal, you know. But isn't it funny how you get just numbed to the whole thing? I mean, I don't know about you, but now I just, I pretty much. I just can't process anymore. I have a I have a theory that I think the Russians are actually in control of his Twitter account, <laughs> and I don't think I don't think, and that's part of the world deal. exclusive. You've heard it right here for the first time. <laughs> Mark my words; yeah. it'll come down to it. It'll be proven that someone in Vladimir Putin's office is right. the one writing all of those tweets, <laughs> and it's part of the compromise deal that he's got with um, Putin about the. And it's, I think it's much worse than prostitutes pissing on him in the Obama bed. <laughs> it's, there's something else there that they've got on him. I'm really interested to know what we all find out in 10, 15 years, 20 years, when they make documentaries and stuff gets revealed and it's all in the past, but now we learn more about it retrospectively. Yeah. Um, I mean, even even the early episodes of, of this podcast, which has only been three years three or years, something yeah. like that, um, that so much has happened in the world since we started. I remember there were episodes where we were both like, "No, nah, he's not going to become president." Yeah, you know. <laughs> and and just like I, sometimes I I remember things that we talked about, and I think, man, we we just had no idea. So naive. Um, but what are we going to find out in twenty years about what really happened? Yeah, you know. Oh, and and the funny thing is, is that we could that something like that could come out and like, holy shit, Bobby was right. Yeah. <laughs> Here he is saying it in 2019. At some point, though, do you feel? And uh, I'm trying to play devil's does it feel like beating up on an on an imbecile you know like like he's a bit senile he's an old man and he's just an easy target now isn't he? but he's driving the bus towards the edge of the cliff and we're all on the bus right so good point i don't care how much of an imbecile is we need to we need need a different driver (laughs) (laughs) can you just get off the bus (laughs) throw him off the bus yeah yeah Yeah, right yeah yeah i'm up in, in the back somewhere yeah I mean, oh man! <laughs> you feel like we're, it's, World War Three is imminent. Um, but at, no, at any no. point, I mean, like, could because at it, any it's point, got to get. To, well, I mean, from now, it's yeah. it's going to get to the point where he's run out of scandals, <laughs> and he needs something big to to um, distract people. I don't know. I, I think if you are, if you mean it, like, will it ever happen? I mean, if we don't. If we don't blow ourselves up in some other way first, it's probably going to happen at some point, surely, even if it's hundreds of years from now. Right. Um, if you mean in the near future, 
I don't see it happening, but maybe it will. I don't know. Mm. But I also, I just don't for a second think we've got anywhere near the full picture of what's going on. Right. You know, I, I was really, I was um, ha- having some drinks with a friend recently. He had, he had a bit too much and we we're sitting there in a big group of people and he suddenly goes, I don't even know what the problem with Trump is. I quite like him. And I'm like, oh my God, trying to climb under my chair. Everyone starts <laughs> turning around looking at us and, and and he starts saying like, oh no, he's, you know, he's, um, look at the positive outcome of his negotiations with North Korea. And I'm like, I don't... Nothing's changed there. Nothing's changed. And that was more North Korea that that made all the decisions about what, about meeting with, yeah. you know, Trump and with South Korea. And yeah. they instigated that, didn't they? I don't think that Trump had anything to do with that. No, well, I mean... As far I as we know, said, though, but we don't fucking know. Yeah, well, I suppose we don't. I yeah. mean, as the, as the leader of... Three, and look... I, I do listen to and read a lot of the left-leaning... Okay, well, MSNBC is probably quite far left. Um, but I take that stuff with a grain of salt. Mm. So, there are, you know, I'm getting a barrage of shit from them. Yeah. But the stuff I see anyway, the stuff coming from the other side, the Fox News side of things, is, to me, is insultingly... Right. Um, ...offensive. Yeah. Like, I find that, that they're, they're offending my intelligence. Yeah. But it just blatantly fucking stupid yeah you know so i'm trying to get a balanced view of it and see what's going on in the other on the other side of it but it just seems like the guy is all of the things that everyone says he is but i mean well i, I think he is but i mean is this is this also is i've heard some people say that we're in the um what do they call it the the post knowledge the post knowledge um or the post truth post truth yeah and i think there's something in that mm-hmm. because the news outlets on both sides i don't think are that committed to telling the truth mm. i think they're committed to getting attention and right. i think i think the whole world has become about that about how to get attention mm-hmm. um because if you if you go out there and tell the truth and have really thought out you know well-researched um balanced and objective articles mm-hmm. by the time you put the article out no one's paying attention right. <laughs> and no one wants to read that anyway they want the sensational headlines but, you yeah. know i i think some of the same thing is happening with the the Me Too stuff as well, which which makes the whole thing. I think in some ways that actually takes away from it because the the really hurtful behaviour that's happening, the, you know, the the way that some people have been treated has been has been obviously terrible, awful, horrible. Mm, mm. But in some ways, it undermines their validated complaint because the the way it's being handled is so inflated and and mm. un, unintelligent. Mm. You know, and we we kind of all live in a we we live untruthful lives you yeah. look at anybody's social media feed mm. they're they're giving you the best versions of the best yeah. photos of the best stories of their life or their week or their day that's right they're not giving you all the other mundane shit you're getting the snapshot or this um you know edited version of their lives on social media right we're all doing it yeah um so in a way what is the truth and Maybe some someday the truth won't really matter. You, like you won't be able to hide anything from anyone. Maybe you'll just know everything. Yeah, um, it'll all be out there, and it's, and people won't need or be able to lie about anything. And then we can just like uh, you know get on with it. Well, uh, I think that there there has to be some kind of pushback. There, you know, there has to be some kind of balancing to it, and and it might take a long time for it to come back around. But I'd like to have a little bit of faith in humanity that that people will become more interested in reality again. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you mentioned Snarky Puppy much earlier in the episode, and something that they did, which I think was really clever, was that they 
they filmed themselves recording their albums live in a big room yeah. and put it all up on YouTube so you can see them actually standing there playing it. Right. Because most of us who know anything about music production know you can fake anything these days. Mm. Um, you can you can tighten everything up. You yeah, can, yeah. You can literally stitch every every note together. Mm-hmm. Um, so to st- to actually be able to just click on the link and watch them do it, I think. I mean, I don't obviously know the in- internal workings of of the 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 uh, um, ascension of Snucky Puppy's career, mm. but my what I noticed was that people were sharing the videos with each other, saying, "Check this out! Mm. This is amazing!" Mm. And I thought it's interesting because I think what people are getting off on is that it's real. Yeah. These, these are actually good musicians, and they are actually playing it. Absolutely, it's, it's still been polished in post production, surely. Yeah, um, but you can tell that they're fucking great yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know and yeah. someone else um someone sent me a very similar sounding album from somewhere i think it was in hamilton uh, i can't remember the name of the band but it was a very similar type of music very complicated and and that sort of thing mm-hmm. um and i just thought i i mean it could be legit i'm not sure but i just thought i just don't know and yeah, there was an no album. yeah there was no way of me finding out whether it was actually like really played like that right and i just yeah. found myself not really getting into it because i couldn't believe yeah, it right. believe it yeah so i think and, and and there's also there's this thing about um uh, who was i talking to recently someone i think in, a, in another band i know was saying how polished music videos are sort of on the way out because people are more interested in those random clips of of singing you know with a ukulele in the back of a car or something mm-hmm. because it's just the mic on the camera and there's nothing hiding whether it's real or not right so there's the rawness to it yeah so yeah. there seems to be an attraction to 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 legitimacy and to inherent to truth organic truth yeah yeah and i wonder if that'll start to happen in other mediums too mm. no you might be right and i think um if you've ever seen a, a good or a funny viral video yeah they are obviously not sta- the ones that aren't staged you yeah know, but there are now um, like any good thing humans have gone and taken it and fucked it up to try to make a, some money out of it or right. whatever yeah there are some obviously faked viral and inverted and i hate using that air quotes bullshit um but <laughs> no, i just no one, no one saw you do it except for me i just mentioned it so therefore people know damn yeah. it. <laughs> um of viral videos around there right uh that you can i mean as someone who's dealt with video editing i can look at it and go well there's two camera angles on that yeah that's yeah. and and there's a locked off camera when someone seems to walk into shot and do this prank on someone just oh it makes it all like oh hey there's a person there i'll do a prank on them i just found them here well where, <laughs> where was this fucking camera coming that was sitting there and it's perfectly locked off shot and framed right and they've done this thing that's really funny and it's got and it's got 20 million views on it yeah yeah and you're like are people buying this shit as being unstaged yeah because it fucking is staged. Well, some people catch a whiff of it and then and then they they criticize it that's not real yeah but then they start to question the real stuff too yeah, is that's that right. It's, yeah, just, yeah. it's, just a, yeah. it's this whole thing. But I mean, I was in a, a conversation a few days ago with someone about about um, about music and good music versus bad music and that kind of thing. Mm. The person I was talking to isn't involved in music. Um, so he was coming at it from a fan point of view. Mm-hmm. Um, and and the, the, the I don't know if you've been in many of those arguments or debates over your lifetime I try to avoid arguments or debates <laughs> i actually do too i'm not sure if you're kidding but i do yeah. especially about things like that whether this music's good or not you know it's yeah. so such a pointless argument mm. um but i said i said from from if i ever have to try and understand if something's good or not the way that i try to do it is like this i i said i realized a long time ago that my opinion doesn't mean anything in that conversation because 
it's just your opinion. You've your right to your opinion. People like shit. They like good stuff. Um, I, my opinion has completely changed over the years. There, there are bands that I used to love that I no longer like, and there are artists that I never used to understand that I grew to love. You know, mm-hmm. as as I changed or as I got introduced to them on a different angle or something. That yeah. happened to me with Bob Dylan. I never, I never got Bob Dylan when I was growing up, mm-hmm. but then I watched a film that Scorsese made about him. And it totally changed my view on him. And and I'm like, from then on, I've been a huge fan of his, you know? Mm -hmm. And so through some of those experiences made me realize my opinion is worth nothing if I'm critiquing music. So therefore, how can you critique music? And Mm -hmm. then you end up in these weird arguments where you say, um, oh, that artist is bullshit. You know, some, you know, token pop star or something. And someone else would go, well, they sold more records than you. Oh, ouch. I, I, back then I would use the argument, well, yeah, McDonald's sold more burgers, you know, than probably any other burger joint in the world. Does that make them the best burger joint? No. no. And they're not saying they are either. Mm. Um, so, you know, that's only one point. So then I, I started thinking, well, actually, it's not as simple as good, good and bad. Mm. You know, so now when I think about whether music is good or not, I think of a very long checklist of points, you know, writing, originality, cultural impact, production, musicianship, that just a very, very long list of, of points, mm-hmm. taking my opinion out of it. So then if you go, what do you think of, let's say, Ed Sheeran, really famous pop star right now, easy target? Well, he ticks some of these boxes, he doesn't tick a lot of the other boxes. Mm-hmm. You know, to me, that's a much more intellectual way of looking at it. Right. And then if you go, well, what's so good about the Beatles? Well, if you do the same test on the Beatles, they tick almost every single box which makes them really hold, you know, stand up in the test of time. Do you see what I mean? What about Bruce Springsteen? Do you not like Bruce Springsteen? No, no, no. Well, I'll get to that. Okay. Um, but how many of those boxes would fear would he tick? Well, that's, uh, that's an interesting example, actually, because I've never really gotten into him. Right. But I think he probably ticks almost all of them. So he was a... He so that, was that, that's a, an example, because I put my opinion aside. Because, mm. I, I mean, maybe in 10 years I'll become a huge Bruce fan. Right. Um, I fully respect how much his fans love him. Yeah, he must tick all those boxes. He was a Bob Dylan for me. You're, he was my Bob Dylan, right? In terms of, I uh, didn't really get him. I yeah. grew up listening to his music or hearing it, you know, um, over time, and then hearing other people cover his songs, right, got me into like, oh, this guy's a talented songwriter. Yeah, you can hear, you can almost sense, smell, see feel the the environment that he's written about mm. you know from this other person singing it you know so it came from a different angle that i started getting into his songwriting yeah and then you start thinking about you know well I, what i thought about i knew about him was you know working class kind of dude um yep. worked hard a laborer I don't know, a welder or something like that of that ilk yeah and just plowed through it as a working class musician you know you imagined him working a full 12 hour day and then slugging his guitar down to the next open mic and doing you know which is probably true it's not true oh it's not true no oh. he's never worked a day in his life oh really and that to me <laughs> is the manufactured um it comes back to uh, you never know what the truth is about yeah because i thought that over the years about him this is a um, um a, you know the working man's hero right he's a you know, pop icon, pop hero. Yeah. But he never worked a day in his life. Well, he didn't he, have a conventional job. He, he obviously he's worked. He's been a musician. He's yeah, sorry, yes. Yeah. He didn't work a, like in a labourer kind yeah, of yeah, yeah. way that you feel the, like the he's blue, the working the blue, class, the blue, blue collar, collar sort of thing. Yeah. Dude. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there's that thing, the Broadway show that, that's on Netflix now of him, his show that he did on Broadway. Right. And he talks about it. And he, he, I haven't seen, I've only seen clips of it, but I've read the review on it. Yeah. And, he says how his songs are written from his dad's voice. 
Ah. So his, that was his father. Right. Um, and he wrote those songs through that. Um, that's interesting. So that's not, and that's not an invalid way to write music. No, not at all. But it changes my perception of him because well, there is a certain manufactured element to yeah. the persona of Bruce Springsteen. But I think that's true for almost everyone. You know, I mean, John Lennon was criticised because he he wrote that song "Working Class Hero." And he wasn't working class at all. I was literally having the words working class hero in my head when you said that. Really? I wasn't thinking about John Lennon. Right. I was thinking about that as a way that I could have used to better describe <laughs> Bruce Springsteen. Yeah. Well, I mean, Bruce is that. That's what you're saying. Yeah. Um, but um, I think John Lennon was coming at that angle too. He was he was sort of trying to position himself that way. Right. Um, one thing I heard about John, which I, I don't know actually if this is true, but I, I believe he faked his accent. His, really? Um, no yeah, shit. Yeah, I believe he faked his sort of uh, lower class Livpudlian accent. Holy um, shit. I, I, I think I saw um, an interview with his auntie who raised him, who said when she first saw him on the telly, she, she spoke to him afterwards going, what are you doing? She raised him. She really cared about language, pronunciation, the whole thing, right. and raised him really well. It was really strict on him about that sort of thing right and then he's he's on the telly you know doing the whole thing and she's like what are you doing and he said this is going to work better for us it's better if we're we're seen as that. lower class you know right because he went to art school and all that yeah he was a yeah proper ponce interesting isn't it wow so he put on that persona that um, is amazing I, I hadn't heard that i think it's really common right yeah that sort of thing yeah I mean, I mean back on the bruce thing when he came to new zealand last and there was all this all these people going you know do you know he played for three hours he played for three hours and i'm like yeah so the most wedding bands <laughs> a lot of covers band play for four hours you know i, I but recently just... did a gig in um christchurch we played for five hours <laughs> yeah. we had we were paid for, to do two 45 minute sets and we didn't get off the stage until three in the morning i heard about that gig <laughs> it was unreal uh, but it's just funny things that, or bad things. A uh, mixture. Uh, <laughs> but it's interesting how that's the tagline that get get that got attached to him. Right. And a lot of artists that come out have their tagline. I I used to be on drugs, you know, or yeah. I'm really young or whatever. Um, uh-huh. uh, and and they're not actually that unique. They're yeah, not. Re- yeah, well, that, that, sometimes they're true, but right. um, they're not rare. But they need know. a story. That, that's that's right. In fact, that's a that's a good point because I remember. Who was I talking to? It might have been um, the record label manager or something at one point, like about mm. to release something, and he said, "What's the story? What do you mean? What's the story?" It was like, "Well, we got a new album out." No, but what's the story with the album? Well, it's new. <laughs> <laughs> Shouldn't that be enough? <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what I said to him. What do you mean? And he goes, "You know, there needs to be some sort of backstory. Like, d- d- were you fucked up when you wrote it or something? Or you know?" And I'm like, "No, I was fine." <laughs> yeah. You know. Um. And. And and I just I remember arguing with him. I I I applied myself and made something creative. Uh, That's the story. Uh-huh. No, it's not good enough. What? <laughs> <laughs> and then I won't say who, but an artist got profiled at the time, and they said he used to steal cars, and now he's reformed. Oh, and I'm like, okay. what? Okay, cool. So he's more legit than me because he used to break into people's cars and steal them. That property that wasn't yeah. his. Hey, his. I'm the guy who didn't used to steal your car. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that makes me less interesting. <laughs> yeah, you're not dangerous, man. Exactly. I yeah. recently dealt with a PR person who, and this was on a high school's competition to um, people had won. They'd gone to different schools, but they'd joined together to do this competition and and won the competition. Yeah. Uh, male and female. High school kids, remember that. That's, that's a salient point. Okay. And the PR person comes back to me and goes, 
how are we going to sell this? Because we wanted to put out a press release to say, you know, um, about this great achievement these kids from South Auckland had um, had made. And um, and she was like, so you know, what's the what's the angle here? Right. Like, well, these are you know, kids who've come from a not great background, but they've really achieved really well in this competition and. Actually, they're very fucking talented. Yeah. How about that? Yeah. And she's like, but uh, oh, so are they sleeping together? I'm like, <laughs> they're fucking high school kids. Jeez. They're, no, I don't know. Maybe, but I'm not going to ask them that. And yeah. for, what the fuck does that matter? Are you literally going to go to the Herald and go, hey, these two uh, South Auckland kids, one of them's knocked up, uh, they're sleeping together and they've just won this competition. It's like, fuck, dude, seriously, you need that kind of angle on it to be able to sell it. Right. But that that actually goes back to what all the stuff we've been talking about on this episode, that the the, the truth of what it's about is not important. It's the sensationalistic side of it. Right. You know, yeah. it doesn't matter if you made an album or if you if they're really good singers or, you know, whatever they're doing. Yeah. You know, what's the drama? It needs to stand above the rest of the other. Yeah. Yeah. Has to compete with the other headlines. Has to compete with all the other bands who've just released a new record. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, that's true too. You know, yeah. I mean, it's really not, it's it's hard to stand out these days. So you need to go and do, you need to go and kill cats or something or right. to, to sell your record. He's a exactly. cat killer. He's a yeah. reformed cat killer. I actually had a question for you that, that relates to this for this episode. Mm-hmm. Some friends of ours are in a band that have been doing pretty well this year. Yep. And, um, I've thought recently about how they've been all over the radio, television, they've they've had huge amounts of great things happen, and yet, they're not a household name. Mm. And I don't know what else they could do at this point um, to, right. pr- to promote themselves, right? So, yeah. I, I know things, a lot, of, a lot has, ha- has changed in the world and in the music industry in the last 10 years. Mm. You were in a band that became a household name. Mm. So, my question is, what made Opshop a household name? Um, what, what was there one moment or one thing that went that took you from being known in the industry or known in certain circles to being a household name? And can it happen now? Hmm. Very good question. I think if I was have, to, I can think of the moment where it seemed to do that thing where it pushed us over the edge, and it was a kind of more luck than anything. I mean, yeah. it was there was luck in obviously being in the right place at the right time. Sure. A few things converged at once, and it was back in, I think, 2000 and... I want to say eight. Right. Um, 2008, 2009, potentially. No, I think it was probably 2008. And we'd been asked to do the Christmas in the Park right. um, yep. performance. Mm-hmm. And it was televised, and, and then, you know, they get something like one and a half million viewers. Yep. Um, at that point, we'd had a couple of songs out, uh, and from our first record, they had done really well. And there was one particular song off our first album that had been picked up by Outrageous Fortune. Oh, yeah. So that was um, in a very pivotal scene on that show, and yep. people started to get to know the song. Right. Not so much the band name, like as a household thing. There'll be fans and people who listen to the radio who would know that that's Opshop. Yeah. Uh, so there was that. That was one thing. And then within weeks of that, um, off the second record, uh, I think uh, the New Zealand Post picked up um, one day. Right. Oh, on that's a very right. emotive um, kind of uh, advertising piece. Yep. Uh, which so again people knew the song but they didn't know the band name because we weren't uh, on. we weren't in the video we weren't yeah, in the yeah. ad or whatever and yep. they, they didn't say this is Opshop song they just put the song on so people knew the, the song mm. and then we did the Christmas in the Park and we played that song 
Right. And then they knew they could see they put the name of the band to their song. Yeah. And at that point it was like, okay. And that was a crossover for us into, at least that's how I remember it, um, into um, stations like the Classic Hits. Yeah. Which at the time, now you asked whether that would happen today. I don't think it would mm. in, that, in that way. Yeah. Because I don't know necessarily whether radio is as relevant as it was then or, you or, know, whether or, those things. Or television. Or television, for that matter, exactly. Because, because television's in a, in a great space in regards to all the content it's putting out. It's amazing yeah. stuff on television. But, I mean, back then, Outrageous Fortune... It's just controlled. Well, yeah, and it's also more, um, uh, you know, so many different um, things to That's watch. That's what, what I mean. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. You haven't got two or three channels where exactly. you, yeah, yeah. you can go and do whatever you want, whenever you want. And I, I actually didn't watch um, Outrageous Fortune, but I remember it very clearly because people loved that show. Yeah. And, and it must have been a huge pop, um, percentage of the population watching it because yeah. there wouldn't have been that much stuff to watch so yeah. if you had a song on outrageous fortune then it must have been ex- well, exposed to loads of people it's you know? the bohemian rhapsody thing isn't it you mm. know um back in the day when that song that video was one of the first big music videos that came out and it yeah. was the only thing that i think in new zealand at least um it may have been yeah i think it was here in new zealand where we only had the one or two channels right but there wasn't enough content for the tv started at a certain time of the day yeah and so they would play that song over and over that video over it would get so much you know um turnaround and we just keep going around and around and around yeah so people got rammed that song got rammed down their throats that video yeah and it became the biggest um you know christmas song that year the first release mm. and then Ironically, the, the year that he died, it became the number one Christmas song again, the biggest song yeah. that year, yep. um, when Freddie Mercury died. Yeah. So, um, yeah, did that answer your question? Kind of. Yeah. I don't know if it answers the question about could it happen now. I think you I said no. If, I right. don't think it could. Uh, yeah. Well, not in the same way. Um, maybe other ways. Because who would you say are the leading New Zealand artists right now? Oh, shit. Because I don't actually think I know. So I'll have to think about that. And um, it's, conf- it's a bit confusing. Well, 660. Ma- yeah, I was, I was going to say it's a bit confusing for me and pro- probably you too because we're in, inside the industry, so we know of lots of bands that the public may not necessarily be aware of. Mm. Um, but you know, you just hear about more stuff if you work in it. You know. Yeah. Um, so I don't know how many people know about this band or that band. I or, think of you know. mass crossover appeal six sixty. Yeah. Um, they are a household name. Absolutely. Yeah, they just absolutely. sold out yeah. Western Springs, right? Yeah. And there's some debate as to whether that's a good career move for them. Is you it? Know? Well, where to from there? there's no bigger stadium than Western Springs. So now do you have to sell out Western Springs every single time to be seen as being relevant still? I think there's, I mean, I don't know. I don't know the answer, but my first instinct is to think offshore. Right. Exactly. So that's the next. But we both know how big a challenge that is. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So um, that's, I think they're probably the biggest. And then of course, Lord. um, Mm. But I've never thought of her as a New Zealand artist, you know, funnily enough, because I don't even know quite how to justify that statement. Is it because she broke it in the US first before? Pro- probably, yeah. I mean, but, yeah. you know. It, it just seemed, I, I don't know all the internal workings, but it just seemed like all of the people behind the scenes who made that happen, of course, loads of them were from New Zealand, but it seemed like an, an American music industry success story mm. rather than a New Zealand music industry success story. It's always, yes. always how I've seen it. Right, right, you know, right. I feel the same way about Crowded House. I know, I know that there's always been that debate about are they a New Zealand band, are they Australian band or whatever, mm. but they... Neil Finn lived in Australia that you know the other two guys in the band were Australians mm. you know they mm. he he traveled between Australia LA and London um to set up those deals and I think they signed with Capital didn't they in the, in the early days I don't know. or something like that yeah. um New Zealand really had nothing to do with it he was just he was just from New Zealand mm. you know yeah. 
and later on of course tim was in the band for a moment but then yeah. he was gone and they replaced him with an american yeah you know yeah, yeah. Um, so i mean and their drummer's american now too that's right yeah. yeah i mean they recorded together alone in new zealand which i think put a connection back i i, I know that obviously neil loves new zealand and has always been very supportive of the yeah. culture here mm. but i just don't see them as a new zealand band as a new zealand new zealand success well yeah even yeah. a new zealand band yeah yeah yeah, no, they're well, an international that, that's a valid band. point. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Just, I, I guess I'm approaching that more pragmatically rather than yeah. patriotically. Um, but to get back to the 660 thing, I don't yeah. know how they broke through. I haven't been a radio listener. I believe they're very successful in the radio mm. and and also with um, you know streaming right. um, services like Spotify. Yeah, you know, and it's based on the number, the Spotify chart, or the sorry, the um, sales chart or whatever it is the number one album charts. Yeah. A base now they have some of that componentry of the streaming part of it, right? That make up the numbers, and I think six sixty had something like you know six songs in the top ten. Wow! Because they were their, their songs, their albums were just being streamed by the millions, you know, right. uh, yeah. streaming, streaming, streaming. So that kind of skewed the numbers a little bit right. in their yeah. favour, and they started showing up in uh, in the album charts all over the show. And yeah. I guess, um, and that certainly helps because that informs radio play and yeah. Um, and all other uh, and a whole bunch of other aspects, not so much retail anymore. Right. But um, and, th- and that was the other thing too. I think for going back to us at the time, yeah, we had a lot of support at, at retail, mm. um, and, and that can't be undersold. You can't undersell that because if you get a, you know a nationwide record chain buying into your album, right, and believing in what you're trying to do and and getting really getting behind you, that can make all the difference. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and we did. We had support from all of the major players, the warehouse and sounds at the time, and the CD and DVD store, or Marbex, and they were a smaller player. But mm. um, having that cross the board support, you can't, you couldn't buy that. You know. Well, I, I've thought well, you can, but I, we didn't. I've thought a lot about that type of thing over the years, um, and and I've I've always wanted to think of a good name for it. I've sort of like organic marketing or circumstantial marketing or something like that. Yeah. Uh, 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 the example that comes to my mind is. Um, is the Beatles when they were going to America when they they hadn't gone to America yet but they're on the way? Mm. Um, Kennedy had just been shot; he'd just been killed. Right. And a, a, this is what I'm talking about right now is based on a book I read, so I can't again say it's 100 percent true. But mm. um, what I read was that there are a lot of people who were who were trying to figure out a way to lift the public morale because the country was in a slump. You know, they just had their president killed. Right. So they were looking for ways to to build the morale. And one of the things that they decided to jump on was the Beatles, because the Beatles had blown up in England and were coming to America. And so they did all the stuff to try and sort of make a big event out of it. Mm. And if they had, um, I can't remember the name of the job of the people that run the elevators, you know, back in the day, those guys. Porter. Oh, Porter, yeah. yeah. And they had they had things like, they'd pay these guys. Every time someone got in the elevator, they'd say, um, you're looking forward to the Beatles coming? And, and just stuff like that. All this marketing on the street, which wasn't thought about or financed by the Beatles people. Right. It, it was by, um, I think it was by the mayor and by the possibly the government, looking, right. you know, using them as a way of, of boosting morale. So wow. by the time they got to America, there was so much hype. Yeah, right. Which meant that, I mean, if you've ever stopped and thought, okay, we've all seen the footage of them getting off the plane 
in New York, you know, yeah. and, and first being on the Ed Sullivan show and things like that. Yeah. And we kind of just accept that because we've grown up watching that footage. Mm. But why were people so excited? Why were they gathered around the plane when they haven't even played yet? Yeah. Right. You know, where did that come from? They were hyped up before they even played a note in America. Right. Isn't that interesting? That is very interesting. So they got really, really lucky. Yeah. You know, they were at the beginning of the 60s. Rock and roll hadn't quite taken yet. Um, the world was trying to put itself back together after World War Two. Yeah. Now America had taken a couple of big hits, including you know their top guy being taken out. In Vietnam and yeah, and yeah, exactly. There, there was it's like a perfect. It was a room full of oxygen. All they had to do was light the match. Yeah, you know? right. And now that, I think that's one of the reasons why we will categorically never see another Beatles. Now that you mention it, something like that similar to that happened to us. Right. Um, similar to that, <laughs> in a New Zealand kind of way in context. Yeah. Um, well, actually, no, it was an international context. Um, we were, I can't remember what the show was called. It was on 7 o'clock on TV1. It wasn't Holmes mm. because it was Mark Sainsbury, whatever. Campbell? No, so Mark Sainsbury was hosting it. Oh. Was Seven Sharp? Or, oh, yeah, yeah, I remember that show. Or something yeah. like that. I remember the Sainsbury. Whatever, yeah. the, you know, they used to have those, that whole slew of 7 o'clock current mm. affairs shows. Well, this yeah. was the TV1, the highest rating current affairs show. You've got all the people watching um uh, the people that we were trying to get to you know that yeah um that, that spent money on music and, and went to gigs and whatever um at least that was the thinking anyway so we were booked in to play that show well or i should say um, jason and matt were doing an acoustic version of our single at the time which was maybe right t- on that show that night uh, one night um and that day the um uh, some mass shooting happened in america oh and it was a really bad one right. um so everyone was tuned in to Seven Sharp that night for that to that find story. out more because it was an, it was developing at that time you know around that time that the show was on yeah and you know it's terrible to think of that in that terms but there were a lot more people watching that probably would not have been and mm. and and they those guys played the show out at the end of it yeah um, and I guess in a way that works kind of like what you were saying before absolutely um, more people were around that we wouldn't have had you know watching maybe well i mean a lot of people obviously say that to to make it in something like music involves a huge amount of luck in fact it's mainly luck yeah um and I think in the early years, I was a bit sceptical of that because I thought, no, I mean, if you write a good... Unlucky for the people who were shot dead. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But if no, I, thought, I, I still believed in the process. You know, if, you, mm. if you're a good enough musician, if you write a good enough song, then surely that'll get you through the, the various um, barriers, you know. It'll get you through some of them. But, and I hope I don't sound cynical in saying this, but I think they're right. It does come down to luck. You know, I think the Beatles were lucky to be right at that moment, you yeah. know. And luck doesn't always... It doesn't always mean it's positive. I mean, what you just described is obviously an awful thing mm. that happened to benefit you. Mm. But that's the confusing world we live in. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I guess it's not so. like you planned it. No. <laughs> or did I? Or did you? Yeah. Um, no, of course I didn't. But um, <laughs> but you also need to be in a position to ta- to capitalise on that luck as well. Put yourself in the way of luck. Yeah. 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 Put yourself in the way there and and try and get swept. And you know, because um, if we weren't saying yes to doing those shows, or we weren't, mm. we didn't have a single on the radio. We weren't weren't working hard making music and putting music out there and doing whatever we could to get um we wouldn't have been in that space to i guess unfortunately use the term luck to have that yeah you know come about or um yes there was luck about the 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 other things i described earlier with the show and the 
Well, luck is always got a, luck is always a double-edged sword because, in, in many ways, luck is is a an unorganized bias. You know, I mean, for one person that gets an opportunity, there's all the people that didn't get the opportunity, mm. and often there's more deserving people um, for those opportunities. And that's one of the things that I think we've all seen many times is you see really, really amazingly talented musicians around the place that just have never gotten a break. Yep. You know, yep. and you think, I know. Oh, man, a number they, of them. Yeah, I feel like I see them often. You know, yeah. And you just, I mean, I'll be sitting in a bar somewhere, and someone will start singing. I think, man, you know, it's like got goosebumps. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. Why aren't they on the TV? Are they sleeping <laughs> together? That'll get them. You know, they should <laughs> yeah. be sleeping with their bandmates. They need, they need a controversy. Yeah, they yeah. need something. They need a story, or they need a something to happen in the news that day to get them uh, noticed. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. 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 Well, have we come to a natural um, decrescendo? Is that the word? Well, I was, go- was going to say, should we start? Diminuendo. Should we start the show now? Oh, have you pushed record? We, we never even said hello. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we never. Hello. Welcome to Don't Give Up Your Day Job. <laughs> and welcome to 2019. The, yeah. I guess it'll be the first episode. Why are we just talking to ourselves again? Oh, because um, we do this every year. That's right. At it's, the start of every year, the first tradition. episode of the year, we talk to each other and yeah. um, catch up on things. And We started out talking about our lives and careers, and yeah. and then I think on the last one, we talked a lot about the Me Too thing. That came up a bit this time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know if we talked about anything today, but it was fun. It was definitely fun. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and we'll, yeah, talk to you soon. I'm looking forward to your album coming out, so let us know when that's dropping. Yep. You'll hear about it. I won't need yeah. to let you know. All right. Yeah. <laughs> You'll show up on the news. You, you won't be able to get away from it. Oh, please don't do too, anything too drastic. <laughs> I'm still plotting. <laughs> yeah. Good stuff. All right. Shop. If you find what we're doing useful and you like this podcast, please do like, share and subscribe and give us a review on iTunes.